Welcome to another episode of the NRL All-Stars Podcast. This is Barzi, back for one of our final Supercoach pre-season episodes of the season ahead of NRL 2023, which is only oh, a week and a half away, less. So, look, it's creeping up. I've got to pump these podcast episodes out this week because I was just talking to our special guest tonight about it. And, unfortunately, the 17th team kind of threw me and also the fact that it starts a week earlier than normal, put out my schedule and as we know, with work, with our real jobs and stuff, it's a little bit hard to fit too much in at times. And Supercoach only launched sort of mid to late Jan, so it doesn't give you a lot of time. But look, we're going to pump them out. I'm going to get a heap out this week. There's going to be so much content. To do that, we've got a mad Cowboys fan, which is fantastic, and also a guy who used to host a fantastic podcast, but the last couple of years couldn't do it, and that was the Points Per Minute podcast. And, of course, Andrew Scanlon is the man behind that one, and he did a great Cowboys pre-season for me on an episode last year and the year before. It's almost becoming a yearly thing now. So, Andrew, welcome back on board the All-Stars podcast, man. Yeah, thanks, Barnsley. Thanks for having me back on. And um, I've got a feeling we're going to have a different tone this year with the Cowboys than we did last year. Um, yeah, looking forward. Let's get into it. Well, I think that we were both pretty down on them last year. Look, I think everybody was. Like, you're, you're a big Cowboys fan, and you were pretty down on them last year. But surely you were surprised at how well they went. Yeah, 100%, mate. I, um, well, from memory, I think um, you predicted them at 15th or 16th, and I predicted them at about 14th at best. And they were a massive surprise. Um, it, it was quite funny watching each week, just waiting for them to stuff up. Like, let's be honest. I mean, I'm I'm a mad Cowboys fan. I'm also realistic. I don't show bias. so um, But I'm quite critical of the Cowboys as well. I've definitely been through some ups and downs. But last year surprised me. And, and I think this year uh, we should be in for a, a solid season as well. So looking forward to it. Yeah. So this podcast, we're going to go through the Cowboys, obviously. But we are also going to go through the Canberra Raiders. It's going to be in two parts. So part one of the podcast will obviously feature the Cowboys. Part two, me and Andrew are going to discuss the Canberra Raiders. So starting off with the Cowboys, gains and losses. It's interesting when we have a look at this because last year they had quite a few. Uh, this year, pretty reserved as far as the player market goes. Losses, uh, the hammer went. That was okay for them, I think, because, I mean, at the end of the day, they always had someone like him on the bench or coming in for someone injured, so it sort of works out fine for their starting 13 anyway. Tom Gilbert is a bit of a loss, but they do have a conveyor belt of forwards there, so I don't think it'll matter too much. Arzi, who debuted, and uh, Ben Condon, who's a decent player, Lumalelu. Look, really, it's it's kind of your fringe players that you, you lost, and the guys that came in, just really a few guys that can do a job as reserves, like uh, Jack Kozowski, um, Shibasaki, who I didn't even realise had gone over until I had a look uh, last week. And also James Tamau, who might be the only guy that ends up in that 17, although the goals might get a bench spot, I guess. So, I mean, overall, it's pretty boring preseason as far as your market watch for your uh, Cowboys signings and losses, mate. It's not too much happening. 
No, not much at all. I mean, we're going to be looking at a, a very similar side this year. Um, obviously, Tarmel comes in. Um, he should uh, go, well, he'll definitely be in the 17, but I think he'll be on the bench as opposed to starting prop. And, um, yeah, Shibasaki and Jasevsky, like, I don't think they'll they'll be in the starting 17, but they'll be handy reserves, that's for sure. Um, and as far as the departures go, mate, like, it's it's not too bad. I mean, the only one that I was really concerned about was Tom Gilbert. But as you said, there's there's quite decent backup um we've got a solid um bench structure um for this season um and we're looking quite good so um look i suppose the positive that comes out of this is as well is that um we get an extra year of chemistry with a very similar team so um that should be a great positive for the cowboys yeah definitely and when we're having a look at your draw that's also a really big positive for the cowboys because your draw for supercoach and also for real life it, it's pretty blessed you don't have a buy until round 15, which is gold for Supercoach. Your buys are 15, 19, and 24. So it's really one of those things where I think the final third of the season is a bit sketchy for the Cowboys. But the first the first 15 rounds, well, the first 14 rounds before your 15-round buy is really good. And then when you're having a look at it, and again, I'll remind people that maybe haven't listened to many of the podcasts yet or are newcomers, I always look for round one as far as draw goes. I'm looking at really that first six to eight weeks. Uh, certainly the first month of the Cowboys is extraordinary because you've got three games out of those four that are all in Townsville at home. But the one that isn't is at Suncorp with the Broncos. So you're not going to leave Queensland for that one. So you start off with the Raiders, then you hit the Broncos, then you hit the Warriors and the Titans. That's a really good four weeks. Even if you have a look after that, I think that you sort of see that first month and sort of think, oh, it's going to get a lot worse then. It really doesn't. The next month of footy, round five onwards, Two out of the four are actually still going to be in Queensland at home in Townsville, and it features the Bulldogs, the Dolphins, the Warriors again, and the Knights. Very few teams play the Warriors twice in the first uh, two months of footy, and I think they're going to concede quite a few points. Obviously, the Dolphins probably concede quite a bit. Uh, The Titans will concede quite a bit. And overall, you know, when you're looking at top eight sides from last year, you're only playing one in the first eight weeks, and that is... The Canberra Raiders first up, but at least it's in Townsville. So as far as the draw goes, it's it's extraordinary. It does go to show why so many people, Andrew, are jumping on the Cowboys players to start with, even the expensive ones that we're going to talk about, because the draw looks phenomenal. So you'd think that they're going to get a pretty hot start. Yeah, exactly, mate. And um, look, this is a very unique um, circumstance. Like this, this opening draw is amazing. Like as you said, not only the opponents are, I suppose, um, quite easy, um, but um, they, they don't really leave Townsville or Queensland that much at all. And um, it, they've certainly got a, a tale of two seasons. I'm oh, sorry, I'll say that again. They've certainly got a t- um, tale of two halves this season. Um, you know, as soon as they hit round 12, um, they've basically played two difficult opponents. And then after that, they're three buys and the difficult opponents come in. So, um, yeah, when we're looking at... Um, like the backs and the halves for the for the Cowboys, um, I think we really do need to take advantage of this. Um, not necessarily, like we're not talking must-haves for their backs, but um, I think if you want to get ahead of the pack as opposed to um, following them, um, you'll need to consider the players like um, like maybe Holmes and Drinkwater, which we'll talk about soon, obviously. Um, the, the Cowboys may find themselves in first or second after the first 12 weeks. That wouldn't surprise me at all. Um, and there'll be a lot of wins under their belt. So, um, yeah, we really need to consider those backs. So before we look at those players in particular, 
Uh, just briefly, where do we think that they're going to finish? And for me, I should probably start off by apologising to Cowboys fans for last year, but I feel like it's not a massive apology because I think everyone, like we said, even the Cowboys fans, <laughs> didn't think they were going to go that well. I'm going to give a bit of a backhanded one here, though. Um, mate, I've, I don't know how to say this without getting people upset, so I'll start off with the compliments. Um, they were a lot better than what I expected last year, and I expect the Cowboys to still be, you know, a top eight side this year. Uh, and they've shown enough where they're going to be. And they've got a lot of talent in the roster and there's a lot of players that I really like. And that's obviously setting up for the but. And the but is uh, I'm still not 100% convinced. And it doesn't mean that, I, you know, I'm saying it can't happen, but I'm still not 100% convinced yet that the Cowboys are now, you know, a powerhouse for years to come where they're going to be solidified, you know, as a top four-ish type of team or anything. I don't actually pick them for top four this year. I, I certainly think they'll be in the eight, whether that's, you know, between five and an eight spot, although I think they're probably closer to five, but five, between five and eight is where I've sort of got them. Really, the, the other factor is the coach. You know, I, I was pretty critical of Todd Payton previously in podcasts. Uh, I have to give him credit because he did really well last year in a lot of facets. I still saw little inklings, though, and I don't mean to be negative, but I did see little inklings where I went, where look, I don't know what's going on there. And they did have a couple of little lapses uh, as well towards especially the back third of the season where there were some losses and some of the play and also some of the substitutions and methods. I did question a little bit. So I'm not downplaying their season, um, Andrew, but I'm also saying I'm going to wait and see before I say, yeah, we're going to get that Cowboys side again and they're going to do just as well. I'm just going to be a little bit reserved in my judgment, but they're still definitely a top eight side. Honestly, it's um, I think it's just realism. Like they're not um, they're not a team that um, like has the the big guns like the Tedesco's, the Clearies, the Trebojevic's, and, and we can't just simply say, okay, you've had one good season, so um, you're, you're now considered a powerhouse. I'm actually on the same um, uh, wavelength as you, mate. Like I've, I've got them around that sixth um, spot, finish the season in about sixth. Um, look. There were a few times last season where I, I thought a few opponents were a bit complacent when playing the Cowboys, and I think that's due to previous seasons. Um, but you and I had them so far down the ladder last year, and I think that was just being realistic. No one expected that season. Um, top four, I think, as weird as this sounds, would be out of the question unless they put in a phenomenal effort. Um, as I said earlier, though, they'll probably be in the top two after the first 12 rounds. Um, but then that difficult back end of the season, um, I think they might drop a little bit and it wouldn't surprise me if they dropped outside of the four. Um, but I think the key thing to take out of this, um, which I don't think many um, fans or, or footy fans kind of realised was, or it hasn't been mentioned that much in social media anyway, was that um, the, the complacency um, from other teams, they, they kind of just thought, oh, yep, the typical Cowboys, and then here they go. They're, they've actually impressed, and um, a lot of tight finishes at the end as well, which I think a few teams took their foot off the brake. Um, the, look, it, it wouldn't surprise me if they did jag that third or fourth spot um, simply because they've got another year of chemistry with a, a very similar side. Um, and, and that would be the only reason why I think they'd make the top four. Um, but realistically, yeah, around that sixth, you know, fifth to seventh mark, I guess. And um, I think that's just been realistic. And, mate, no apologies needed for the Cowboys fans. Like, yeah, it's, it's just saying it how it is. And, um, yeah, I think we're all a bit shocked in, in what they pulled out last year. Yeah, and it, it is also, like, you touched on a point that I've made to so many different people. So I'm glad that you did where they're, they're going to... When you've got a season where a side's successful, a lot of teams aim up for them 
the next time around when they know. And you see it against even some of the successful sides. The Cowboys could sneak up on teams last year, like you said. Yeah, it's just teams will take them lightly. Or the other thing too is that I'm really concerned about in Supercoach is that their performance was off the back of half a dozen guys having career years and that we've never seen before from them. So that can always go one of two ways, right? Those guys can continue on and they can build off that. And a lot of them are young players, although some of them not that young. And they can build off that and keep getting better. And that's that's what they are. The other way it can go is that it's an outlier year. Uh, there's a lot more tape on these guys on how they played last year now. So when you have someone like a Nanai scoring a million tries or someone like a Drinkwater doing all these sweet plays that come off, teams are looking at that in, in this year. They weren't even looking at it or considering it last year as a real big problem. When you're looking at all that tape and you have a career year, you know that's a concern for me as well. So we may as well get started with Drinkwater. Uh, he's going to come in at 746,600 because he averaged 71 points a game last year. Absolutely phenomenal year. I, I got him in and I loved it. And he was actually one of three Cowboys I had in my side all year, or four Cowboys I had in my side all year. He, he absolutely helped my season. In fact, your team helped my season more than anyone else. So I'll give them that credit. But <laughs> 71 average, you know, when you're unpacking that, Mate, he had 11 tries in 22 games. That was equal second best for the Cowboys total tries in the season. Second in try assists with 21. First in line break assists with 25. I will say that these stats also include the um, the finals. His third in line breaks at 12. Uh, and when you unpack his actual super coach numbers, 55% of the time he went 60 plus. So he was almost a 60-60 gun, but not quite. Uh, 50% of his games were 70 plus. So, you know, when you're having a look at that, and you unpack the scores and you go through it, one of the things that comes out with drink water is that he did have some low scores in him. Like he had a lower 12. Um, he did have some other ones that were a little bit lower, like a 36. But, you know, a lot of the time he just busted out these massive scores or kind of sub-60 scores a lot of the time, and that was sort of him. And when you're talking massive scores, he had 100, 106, 102, 113, 119 as his five tonnes. And when you consider that he played in 20 games, 25% of the time he tunned. So that was really a big tale of drink water and why I, was, I sort of liked him because he performed against the real bad sides. Now, I don't have him at the moment, Andrew, but I'm pretty worried about it. So my second fullback spot I've been tossing up between basically Ponga and Turbo. Teddy's not leaving my team. Really worried about that because Ponga and Turbo are just such great value, right? Everyone wants to jump on Turbo, especially because of the value that he's at. But someone like Drinkwater is in 7% of teams, has an amazing draw, but he's 200K more. So it is just so difficult. Uh, where are you at on, on Drinkwater? Because I, I saw this, this stat that absolutely scared the shit out of me where I looked at the sides that he's playing in his first two months and minus the Dolphins, obviously, because we don't know what's going to happen there, but we could probably guess. He averaged 86 points a game, 50, 15 points better in his first two months of opposition than his actual priced average of 71. That absolutely scared the shit out of me. So I'm now considering drink water when I never was. Please help me out. <laughs> Mate, he's, he's uh, my backup fullback. 
at the moment. Um, and that stuff that you're talking about convinced me to get him in my side. And I, and I thought because of that opening draw, um, there's two backs that I really want to take advantage of. And, and um, drink water is one of them. Those, those scores against the easier opponents last year were massive. Um, and as you said, a lot of those lower scores or mid-range scores were against tougher opponents, which he doesn't have in the, in the opening two months. Um, I'm, I'm happy to start with him. Um, look, if you do start with him, obviously you you can't start with either one of um, Teddy or Trevojevic. Um, Pong has moved like got the DPP as of today as well, mate. So I mean, you do have that option to move him into the into the halves for your super coach team. Um, he's one that I don't know. I, I would have thought that his ownership percentage would have been a little bit higher than that. Um, but obviously, you've got a lot of players competing for those those two spots in your super coach team, and, and a lot of them are big names. So it's kind of hard to leave out, um, you know, both Teddy and Turbo. Um, luckily for for some of us, Pong has got that DPP. Um, mate, I'm going to go for broke, and it's basically because of, of that last stat that you said. He's he's going to. I reckon he's going to average again very well against those easier sides. Um, Although in saying that, to actually have both Teddy and Turbo out of your team at the start of the season, it is quite scary. I mean, Turbo provides like such good value and Teddy being Teddy, um, you got to run without one of them, which also scares me. Um, but I'm going to lock drink water in and I'm just going to go for broken, mate. Yeah, look, I'm really coming around to it late and it's just a, it's just a bit scary at 7% ownership uh, not to get on him. And I sort of think that he showed that he's got enough tons in him to sort of match a a turbo I I think look to be perfectly honest the biggest thing with him at the moment is the fact that he's so expensive he's almost 750,000 that's a lot more than the these uh, cheaper value types of a turbo a ponger and so forth so I think that's the biggest thing and that's what's going to be tough for me because at the moment I've got a whopping 8,700 in my bank (laughs) and I think that I've downgraded just about everywhere to fit all these other guys in Um, so it's really hard I think he's a great option. 7% ownership. I think everybody should be considering him as one of your fullbacks. And I will say with the Teddy Turbo combo, I've said it before, I don't like that combo because I really hate in that first month, two out of those four weeks only playing a single fullback. And it's what you're going to have. To me, you know, having Teddy a Turbo out one week and Teddy out the next, and it's just, it's a real killer in your fullback stocks. You can really get ahead in that first month by you know, sacrificing one of them, and for me it's definitely turbo, to have somebody like Drinkwater that doesn't have a bottle round 15. You know, that's a big deal. So it, it's out of Ponga and Drinkwater for me. I can't possibly move Dewey or Burton out of my 5-8 spot. So it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a real tough one. And I think, Andrew, for me, one of the great things about Supercoach at the moment, a lot of people talk about, oh, there's all these similar teams. And people are saying at the moment, oh, teams have all got heaps similar now. You know, they follow the different podcasts and content creators and stuff. But there is spots like fullback and uh, six where those two positions, there is legitimately like eight guys that everyone should really, really, really want. And there's only four spots. So I think that's going to really differentiate teams. And picking someone like Drinky at 7%, that can really put a rocket. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And and having that player that's below ten percent ownership in one of those um, two positions, um, I, I don't think it's key, but it, it's kind of fun, isn't it? You, you're really rooting for that person to score well. I mean, you'll get those highs and lows. If he has a downer, then it does really kill you. While all those people who own the the ponger and the teddy and the turbo um, score well, but um, I, I just think it not only ups the excitement for your season um, having that 
pod in a key position. But um, but the fact that every single week for the first you know eight rounds we can sit there and go right, he's playing an opponent where he can easily turn up. I think it's going to be really exciting. And um, mate, he, he won't leave my fullback spot, and and I'm keen. I'm, I'm dead keen. It was basically a, a try assisted game, uh, and his base pace attack was at thirty nine. He was pretty terrible score proof. You know, he had one terrible score and a couple other middling ones, but really, even his bad games, he's still going to throw up a 48 or 50. So I really like him. It's going to be a struggle. I guess the only thing I'll finish on with him is that it was a career year. So we have seen him play fullback before, and we haven't seen that level of dominance, and we haven't seen the Cowboys really run as much attack through him as what we saw. So, uh, look, it's going to be interesting. Another guy that's going to be really interesting is Valentine Holmes. He comes in at 724,600 with a 68.9 average. Now, I am utterly gobsmacked that he is, out of the, out of the non-cheap centre wings, he's the most highly owned. He's currently at 29% ownership, which I find utterly insane. And not because I don't believe in him, Andrew. You know, I, I do believe in him, and I actually looked at the very start. I wanted to like consider him. Two things, maybe not. Um, that ownership at 29% at centre wing is a killer. Like It's really hard to get on top of teams. Or, or the masses when someone's so highly owned. And center wing's so volatile that you're almost better off, you know, you've always got another option in center wing that you can pay for. And to me, you're always always better off just siding with the guy that's going to be heavily less owned. Um, but the other, the last thing for him was the price, 724600 for our homes for a center wing. You know, if we had a new Bible of Supercoach Commandments, one of them would be, don't pay $724,600 for a centre mm-hmm. wing. You just don't do it. And it, it it's rarely worked out. In in the doldrums of, of the Supercoach libraries of history ever recorded in Supercoach since the game was made, it's got a very, very low percentage rate of paying off for you. Most of the time they bleed cash and have some really small scores. So I have held off on Valentine Holmes. There's a lot of people on him and it's a good draw. Is he in your centre wing at the moment? Now let me start by saying that you know I'm not a biased Cowboys fan. <laughs> so let's let's rule that out. Um, yeah, and, and I usually do run with cheapies in the centre wing position. Um, and I do own Drinkwater. Mate, look, he is in my side at the moment. He's, he's the one centre wing that I've got that I've decided to fork out the big bucks for. Um, I, I, I can't... I can't not run with him to start the season. I'm basically going gung-ho. I know I said this before with drink water, but I'm going gung-ho with that um, Cowboys draw. Um, I want to take advantage of it so bad. And those two players, um, drink water and Holmes, um, they're the two people that I'm hoping are going to bring me bring me my big scores. Um, I don't like that he's owned by so much. And, and yeah, I do agree that he's owned by so many. Um, I was kind of hoping that percentage was going to be a little bit lower. Um, but, mate, I'm... I'm fully keen on Holmes. I don't think he's going to exit my team prior to round one. Um, and the, the Drinkwater and Holmes are going to be the two players that hopefully are going to get me a little bit ahead of the pack. Um, and, and you know, with, with the amount of cheapies available this year as well, um, you, you can't afford them without skimping too much in other positions. Um, but, you know, between the two of them, that's that's like, what, one and a half mil right there for two players and, and one of them being a central wing. So it is hard to justify. But I'll go back to the point where um, I really do think players should take advantage of this uh, unique opening draw that the Cowboys have. Um, look, it, it might be the thing that kills you. And, and worst case scenario, these two kind of go a bit average and then all of a sudden you're, you're ranked 
20,000 plus after the first four or five weeks. And that can be a bit difficult to climb back in and, and kind of get your head back in the game. But, um, you know, someone like me, I'm, I'm honestly just going to go for it. And and they're two players that I'd happily just offload out of my team after round 12 when the um, Cowboys buys and difficult games um, start. Um, but the opening eight rounds and possibly 12 rounds. Um, yeah, I'll be looking at these these two players. I think I'll reassess after that round eight game because I think they've got a couple of um, hard games after that. Um, but for the first eight weeks, unless there's a total bomb out, they'll be in my side and I'll, I'll stick strong. Well, I completely understand you doing that. I, I understand people getting Valentine Holmes. I'm a little bit turned off on it um, just because of the percentage and, and the, the money that needs investing there. I'm probably going to go a different way. I don't, I'm not going to say he's a bad buy, though, because look, the draw and his ability last year at 69 points a game, goal-kicking for that Cowboys side in that draw, pretty hard to avoid. Uh, he's got a 39 base-base attack, 26 raw base, which is a little low, but when you consider his goal-kicking, is a bad. I'm going to throw some counter-argument stats in there, Andrew, Andrew, though. So these are the counters for Holmes, and I think it is a possibility that he might not go as well as people think. He had a career year. Um, and he's one of those guys that had a career year in Supercoach and probably in real life as well. He had a 10% increase in his base base attack. So his base attack went up five points per game. Uh, he also, in his first couple of months of the season, didn't actually play that well. He didn't start the season well at all. Started with a whopping 16 in his first game. His round, his round one to 10 average was at 58. Okay, well below you know where his price point is now. It was actually the middle third and then the final third where he really ramped up. He averaged 73 a game in the middle third of the season, 82 a game in the final third of the season. So that was, you know, a progressive work up for him. And we've seen that from Holmes in seasons before. He hasn't actually started that well. I'll also mention, you know, his last three seasons, he's basically half the time gone 60 plus. That's generally what he does. But for that money, 50% 50% of the time to go 60 plus. That's a bit of a concern. Uh, it's certainly less than guys like drink water. And when you're unpacking that a little bit, he went 70 plus only four of his first 12 games. So the first half of the season wasn't phenomenal. Um, it was really when you have a look at his four tons, three of his four tons and the biggest tons that he had, the very biggest scores occurred between round 19 and round 25, where he went 119, 118 and 133. So look, I'm not doing these stats just to say don't get homes, but I do think there's a counter argument for him because he is someone that can throw up the lowest scores. And there were games last year where I thought he'd, he'd score a lot better. Like oh, I got him in Tigers round 10 scored 33 in 80 minutes. Uh, you know, obviously goal kicking and playing the West Tigers who weren't good that year. There is the element of concern there with Valentine Holmes as a centre wing and with all centre wings, which is why it's sometimes hard to pay 724000 for for these guys. So there is a little counter there, Andrew. Do you agree with any of it possibly coming true? Oh, I totally agree. You can't argue with those stats, mate, and they're all very good points. Um, and, I, and I think that anyone who does play Holmes um, to start the season needs to understand that for those reasons, um, you can potentially ruin your season in the opening two months. Um, and the other thing that owners need to keep in mind is it's very difficult to reassess um, Holmes' ownership after a poor game because you'll be sitting there for the first two months and you'll go, oh, okay, he's just had a poor game. Um, Should I get rid of him? Oh, wait, he's playing that, you know, bottom four or bottom eight opponent next week, which he will be doing for the first eight weeks. And and that'll talk you out of um, 
trading him out because you'll think, oh, yep, he could come back here, you know, no, no worries at all. His five-game average will be pretty solid still. Um, and then he'll fail again. And then you're stuck with that decision where, okay, he's playing another poor team next week. Oh, do I really want to get rid of him? Um, and you'll be second-guessing yourself all the way through. And honestly, I think Holmes' owners um, won't pull the plug unless he has two or three games, like poor games in a row. And, and that's going to be a killer. Like, it's going to be very hard. And and after round three, you'll be losing money every single round if he, if he pulls one or two bad games. So this, it's very dangerous. Um, and for all the points that you made, mate, um, yeah, play, our owners need to consider these and, and be prepared for the worst. So good luck to those who, who own homes, especially to myself, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you definitely got to buckle in and just get ready for it because you, you're right, you can't jump off, you can't trade him out because you, you're pretty much like, in the, for those that don't know poker, but pot committed to him. You have to do it. You have to see it to the end because his draw's too good. And the other sort of scary thing is that the first couple of games aren't the easiest in that draw. So there is a very likelihood that against the Raiders and the Broncos that um, the Cowboys don't fire. Uh, but the, the games after that are so good, but then you're going to have guys like Holmes bleeding cash. So you need to consider that. And I think the thing that really broke it for me where I said I'm not going to get him, aside from the ownership, aside from the price, was when I went, well, when I'm playing around with my centre wing, um, I can either have Holmes and, and someone who's not very good at like 350k or something, or I can get you know two really good players like uh, Brian Toto and say a uh, Mazu or someone like that. You know, I can have two really good center wings that I play every week, or I could have one that I'll play every week. And to me, that really brought it home that well, you know, I'd I'd hate to be rotating three crappy base price to mid price center wings that I don't believe in every week just to play Valentine Holmes when I could actually have two guns in there instead of one. So that really brought it home for me. I'm not going to say that Holmes is a bad buyer. Um, I just think that um, there's definitely options and you don't have to jump on. And anti-potting Holmes at 29%, definitely on, and it's on for me this year. Yeah, it's a fair point too, mate. Yeah. <laughs> um, Reese Robson, he had a great year, and he's another one. And I will say, Drinkwater, Holmes, Robson, they carried me. Said that three Cowboys carried me. Tomalolo didn't, but those these three guys definitely did. I got on all of them at just the right time, and I loved it. And it was really good following them because all of them were very much pod territory. Reese Robson. Now, he averaged 64 a game last year on 75 minutes a game. And, you know, a lot of people would say, oh, that's that's not that great. But I think the thing is with him, he started off the season not playing 80 minutes, and we haven't seen him in an 80-minute role before. His best minutes-wise was in 2021 at 63 minutes a game. So this was the first season where sort of after the first couple of months, they locked him into definitively an 80-minute hooker, and that's where he really shined, and you saw his attack really come through. Even on the 75-minute average, his base was at 47, which is strong. It's actually stronger than a lot of the other more fancy hookers like a Damian Cook, Uh, and his base-base attack came in at a 55, and he certainly had the um, the try-scoring ability, um, scoring a bunch of tries last year. As far as hookers go, um, I'm going to go out on a limb and say not many scored seven-plus tries, even the ones that are really fancied at the top, like Damien Cooks. So, you know, obviously guys like Grant are better, but when I jumped on Robson, I, I tried to get on him at a time where I wanted him to outscore Harry Grant or just to meet Harry Grant because he was so much less money. And, and he ended up pretty much doing that for me. Um uh, now, you'd think after all that, Andrew, that I was really on board with, with Robson as an option. <laughs> I kind of was. 
Uh, as far as the draw and everything, you know, in a vacuum, 80-minute Robson, great draw starting off, coming off a career year, but young guy, probably going to repeat it. Makes sense. Price at 64 when really he's a, a 70s guy makes even more sense. The thing that I'm concerned about is that the start of last year, he wasn't an 80-minute hooker, and that really worries me. The first month of the season, especially, he played 53, 69, 58, and 72 minutes. And if you're having a look at that, he was under 46 points per game for six of his first seven games. And those were six of his first seven games and he didn't play 80 minutes. Under 46 points a game. He then averaged above 70 in his 80-minute games after that first couple of months. So Granville, I noticed, played the trial on the weekend. If Granville's on the bench, um, certainly the points have been made by guys like Perso, who's a very, very knowledgeable stats man, that... In the North Queensland weather, in the heat, uh, Robson's never started off playing 80 minutes and he didn't last year. If he doesn't this year, it's going to really hurt him. I tend to agree with that and I'm concerned about that as an owner. I'd rather uh, pay that type of money that he's going to be for his investment because he's going to cost you $678,000. i would rather go up to a grant or just you know save an extra 150k and go down to a cheese and start a cheese. Or I, I'm just worried about that start of the year. Yeah, and and I think um I think Perso made a good point as well. Um, like at the back end of summer when it's quite hot up there, um, you probably do want to um rotate the, those two hookers. Um, with Glanville on the bench, um, which I mean we are expecting him to play that 14. Um, you do risk Robson not playing those big minutes at the start of the season. Um, I don't think that um, Robson's the kind of player that will necessarily benefit from the Cowboys' dream draw, like quite a few coaches have mentioned on social media. Um, as you said, he did have those um, handful of tries uh, throughout the season as well. Uh, we can't really rely on that. Um, and considering, you know, you can get that, um, the grant or cheese, um, you know, for around that similar price, give or take, um, I, I'd be more inclined to go Harry Grant or the cheese over Robson. Um, at least wait and see, um, wait till the weather gets a little bit cooler. Um, you know, that as long as, um, Glanville's on the bench, like there, there is always that, um, possibility that he'll steal anywhere up to 15, 20 minutes from Robson, um. 20 minutes plus possibly. So, um, yeah, for that price tag, mate, uh, I'd be more inclined to go um, two of the big heavy hitters. I think Cheese is going to benefit from um, a few things this year and um, and Harry Grant being Harry Grant, they're going to be your more reliable options. Um, and I'd happily not start with Robson. It's, it's kind of weird, like not starting with um, one of the, the Cowboys' big heavy hitters at the start of the season when I've got Drinkwater and Holmes. But, yeah, happy to run with the other two. And I've been talking up Robson for like, five years before the last year's season because they're coming through St. George. He looked like a great player and I was really happy that he got 80 minutes a game. In a vacuum, if he's playing 80 minutes a game and you know that it's guaranteed and he's going to do that for the whole season, he's a fine option. You just It's it's too iffy that he's going to do that. And it's no coincidence last year that Granville played six of the first seven games. He only missed one. And you know six of the seven games, it wasn't an 80-minute game for... Robson and then Granville disappeared through being dropped an injury and different things. And he sort of played spotty games after that. He played, you know, four in a row from round 12, he was out again, played two in a row, was out again, played one, and then was out for a few weeks and played another one. So it it's really going to be a worry to have Granville on the bench because it looks like just a repeat of last season to me. So I'm going to stay away, even though I loved Robson last year. Um, but another guy who Absolutely had a career year. There is no way around what Nanai did last year. I 
last season was looking at Nanai and Lukey, and I was like, both these guys look so talented. Um, I, because Lukey's had a few more games, I'm probably going to side with him. But, you know, obviously whoever starts, we're going to... I'm going to go with, and, and Lukey got dropped back to the bench to start the season. I swapped him with Nanai and, and away we go type of thing. Now, I obviously sold Nanai like a lot of people during the season. He, he kept on keeping on. Um, I was still not unhappy when I sold him, though. And that's probably what I'm going to base, what I'm going to say here on. I look back and say I'm not that unhappy that I sold him, even though he, he threw up 104, 158 points in back-to-back games when I didn't own him around 19 and 20. I'm going to sell you on why. He comes into this season, 63 average, very good debut season starting, uh, but it also means he's 659,400. He's actually in 11% of teams, Andrew. Oh, wow. So he's not as low owned as what you would expect. And there's been a groundswell for him and his ownership's actually been going up, not down. So I'm, I'm very surprised about that. He only had 60 plus 43% of the time, Okay with eight of his 21 games being below 50. That, in a nutshell, is a problem that I have with Nanai. The second largest problem I have with Nanai, aside from his price tag, is he led the Cowboys in tries last year. You know, do we really think he's going to score 17 tries in 21 games again? Uh, You mentioned earlier, teams are going to look at tape. Teams are going to know what to expect now. Teams are certainly going to know what to expect from Nanai. And I, I certainly don't mean to disrespect anyone with this comparison, but Britton Okora was nowhere near as good a player as what Nanai could be. But at the same time, um, guys like Britton Okora are in that mould of they had a really good try scoring debut year and it dried up the second year. And that's happened to a lot of these edge back rowers where they do that for their first season in NRL because people don't know what they can do. Not You know, they don't know the... The things that they, um, the, the the holes and the lines that they're going to run and so forth, and it can take them by surprise. He's a try scoring freak, so I'm sure that he's going to get tries. But if he drops four tries and scores 13 in the season, Andrew, that's still an amazing strike rate. But it really takes away from his overall score, especially when you consider 17 tries amounted to a 63 average, which isn't that high. 38 base, pretty low. Now, he could improve on all these numbers. I could be totally wrong. But for me, and then I really looks like a, a massive stay away at six hundred and fifty nine thousand. Yeah, that six sixty k price tag is a bit steep um, for me. I'm definitely not starting with Nanai this season. Um, he, he's a massive risk um, to start the season um, for all the points that you've just mentioned. Um, look, I, I actually don't think there's a right or wrong decision when it comes to starting with Nanai. Um, I, I can see where coaches are coming from. Look, it's it's you know, pretty unique that someone's caused the amount of tries that he did last season. And I don't blame any coaches for actually thinking that he's going to, you know, do the same in the first um, eight to 12 weeks, just considering those opponents. And obviously that'll dry up in the second half of the season. Um, I think he's too risky at that price tag. You can certainly um, benefit more from other players around that price um, and especially with the base output. And I think that's um, where you want to be looking at with forwards is you, you do need to inject some reliability and some stability into your team, um, which Nanai doesn't really bring. You, you kind of, he's one of those edge players that kind of rely on on the base out, uh, sorry, the attacking output. Um, and as you said, um, you know, um, teams will be studying tapes on him from last year. They'll, they'll know the lines that he runs. Um, he's a great player, but yeah, he, he's a high risk player, um, which I don't think a lot of coaches do understand when it comes to Nanai because they're simply looking at, you know, a try scoring freak that has a, you know, 
half decent, I guess, base output. Like it's it's not great, it's it's not poor. Um, but here's a guy that's going to score a pile of tries because they're playing a run of um, decent, uh, poor opponents. Um, no, not not for me, mate. But look, I'm I'm not going to blame anyone for starting with Nanai. Big risk though. Yeah, look, I just I don't like it. I understand the rationale, but I just think there's there's that many red flags. Totally um, agree. Yeah, and sixty three points a game off that type of season where he scored on average almost once a game. Like that strike rate is better than wingers. Mm. He was the number one try scorer for the Cowboys. I just can't see it happening. And if it doesn't, he scores two tries less a game. He, he he's struggling to average sixty, and it's just. I'm going to leave everyone with this, okay? If you were starting with Nanai at that price tag, for almost the same money, you are saying, I prefer Nanai to uh, a Tapani, I prefer Nanai to a Crichton, I prefer Nanai to a David Fafita, I prefer Nanai to Pat Carrigan, Ola Kawatu. All these guys are around that price tag. Now, you know, even a yo, you know, like not sexy, but outscored him by three points a game last year and had hardly any tries. It's just there's all these quality secondary forward options at that price tag that you can pay for and know that you're going to get a very good score, whereas Nanai, I think, is an unknown. You can also go down, right? You can also go, well, what's going to be the difference between an Eli Katoa uh, and a, a Nanai? Because if Katoa can average 60 points a game, is it going to be a few points difference for a couple of hundred thousand dollars mm. or $250,000? It possibly will be. Uh, so, you know, I just think there's too many options in secondary forward and I don't see Nanai as someone that's going to get you over the top um, because he's got that those low scores in him still. Let's move along. Up and coming guns, mate. Ruben Cotter. He had a phenomenal season. I have to say, I stayed off Ruben Cotter initially. I wasn't... I just wasn't into it like everyone else was in the preseason. I didn't think he'd go badly. I think that pretty much my words were were he'd go okay because he's such a good worker, but I don't think he's going to go over the top because I just don't think he's got it in him. He doesn't have the minutes. Something weird happened that I don't think even the, the supporters of Ruben Cotter realised, and that was you know a couple of months into the season, Todd Payton, we're not going to actually play this guy that used to be a backup hooker and then started as a, a, a 13. I'm just going to play him at 10. We're just going to throw him in a prop. He's going to use him as a front row forward. Worked a treat. He obviously had a fantastic season. Um, all, a lot of it was base, 54 base per game raw. Average 59 for the season in 57 minutes. But I, I think that's a little bit of a disservice because he had some better numbers than that when he started front row forward. His front row forward games where he was a starting front row forward averaged just over 65. Um, but really, when you're having a look at it, the problem with him is he needs 65-plus minutes. When he's getting 65-plus minutes, he was averaging 72.8 points per game. Um, so, you know, when you have a look at round 8 to 12, that was his money spot last year. Round 8 to 12, he averaged 72.8 points a game and 68 minutes per game. That's where you want a Ruben Cotter at his price tag. He's obviously a front-row forward, Andrew, um, and at front-row forward, it's a little bit tough. He's only at 623000 though. So I think that's why he's in 23% of top sides because he's at an okay price point. I am in two minds about Ruben, so I'm going to throw it over to you. Um, I actually thought when I was going to look at his numbers for the year, I'd be a lot more impressed. Um, but really, he had this um, huge middle of the season at 66 points a game, and then he flattened out with some really poor minutes at 50 points per game in the back third. He was coming off an injury, though. So for me, it all comes down to minutes, mate. 
Yeah, it does. Yeah, and, and that's an uncertainty at this stage, and, and it's very hard to risk that. Um, mate, I was in the same boat as you last season, to be honest. Um, he wasn't even on my watch list um, for quite some time. Um, and similar to Robson, I, I did notice a lot of people on social media kind of commenting that um, he's the kind of player that's going to benefit from the, the Cowboys opening draw, which I, I really don't think is the case, especially playing at 10. Um, and, and again, playing at 10 with um, such a, a decent bench uh, rotation at the Cowboys, like his minutes are very uncertain. I think it is quite risky to, to start with him. Um, you can get better options, um, quite a few of what you mentioned before, um, for a similar price tag. Um, he's not in my team at the moment. He actually was at some point when I, when I put my initial team together and um, just doing a little bit of tinkering. I thought that he was certainly one of those players that I could kind of um, trim some coin away from and, and run with someone else and, and happily do so as well. Um, so, no, he's he's not in my team at the moment. And I think the main point with it is the uncertainty of minutes um, and output. So it, it can be a wait and see, I guess. Like you can reassess at a later stage, but um you know, you've got some some much better options um, for a similar price tag. So, um, yeah, not for me this year, mate. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. Uh, if you have a look at the draw and you think that it's going to benefit him, um, let me just tell you that he averaged one clutch attack stat per game in Supercoach last year in 16 games. So one point. Yeah, I don't understand why it was such a, a common um, topic in social media. Oh, maybe I'm looking at the wrong page, eh? But, but honestly, it, it was brought up a few times that um, that he would benefit from that draw. But let's um, no. assure everyone that that's not the case. He's not going to benefit whatsoever from that draw. And that's another reason to stay away from me. Like if you're, if you're going to get on a forward because of the draw, you'd want to make sure that they've got some attacking upside then because that's the only way they're going to benefit. If they're a worker... The draw actually doesn't make any difference. So, I mean, I said I'm not interested in Nanai, but at least the narrative makes sense with Nanai because he does have a good draw and he does get clutch attack stats you know, plenty. But exactly, yeah. for someone who's got one try and one line break last year, it just doesn't make any sense. And also, he's, he's a massive worker that's going to do a huge amount of tackles. Is Todd Payton going to run him into the dick ground early, knowing that Origin's coming up, knowing that the heat's there, knowing that he's going to you know, do his 50 tackles a game and a heap of hit-ups. You know, he he may very well preserve Ruben Cotter to start the year. He's never played those type of minutes for a full season. We haven't seen it before. He played it in the middle, and then at the end and at the start, he didn't he didn't play those minutes. So we haven't seen him do that yet. I think there's too much risk at that price. Uh, he, you might get, I'm not going to say lucky, but like maybe he's going to be a, a number 10 st- playing 60 minutes a game. And, you know, maybe he ups his PPM even, you know, there's a couple of those things that could happen. And if it does, he's a good buy. I just think the other ones are a little bit better buys and more chance of it working out for you. Tomalolo is a fallen gun. And in our fallen gun category, it's a bit sad because he's been in it for a couple of years. Jason Tomalolo scored 58 points a game in 2022, which at least was three points better than 2021. So, you know, I'll, I'll give that pat on our backs, Andrew, because we both said the same sort of thing that we thought, you know, the only way was up, and it was. The only way was up. It he was went up three slightly. Per game. And I, look, I think it's a little bit unfair for him too. He had three uh, injury-affected games and one rest game right at the end where he played next to no minutes at all. Um, if you take those out, he actually averaged 63 points per game. So I, I, and I think that's more reflective of his season. Uh, but there was a lot of bad signs for Tomalolo last year, and he comes in this year only being second row forward. Uh, I, I liked him last year at, at front row forward when he got cheap. Uh, but this year, if you've got him at second row forward, you, there's just no way that you can do it. 
and over 600,000, um, he's just a non-option. The worrying signs for me when I'm looking at his stats, Andrew, he went through his first season not scoring a try. He actually scored a try in the, the finals, but in the regular season, for, which is super coach, he had no tries. That's not happened before. That's really not very good. And when you have a look at it too, only four of his 23 games last season, he went 70 plus. 60 plus, which used to be a staple, only happened 39% of the time. So a lot of 50s, a lot of 60s and not much else. And, you know, for that price tag at his age and with the pack that they've got now, I think that unfortunately he's going to stay a fallen gun and and Tom Malolo is is out of the market, but maybe for draft you'll get a bit of value because there could be four or five points value maybe. Yeah, and obviously I can only speak for um for overall. I'm not really a, a draft person, but Tom Lele doesn't really um yeah seem like a viable option. And and he will either be one of two options. He'll be for the, for your podcast mate. He'll be a fallen gun, or he'll just disappear. I think as the years go on. Unfortunately, because I'm a big fan of Tom Lele. Um and it is quite sad. Like you know, he's he's he used to be a, a super coach beast, which was great. Um, but as you said, mate, he's over 600k, and the other options you can get for that price are. Um, we'll give you a lot more and I'll give you a a, um, a much higher floor as well. Um, so, yeah, look, uh, I think we're looking at, what, 6 or 7% ownership for um, Tamalolo. Uh, surely surely <laughs> there's not that many biased Cowboys fans out there. Um, but, mate, mate, I was surprised by the 7%. I was actually quite surprised. I was very surprised. I was looking, I was expecting more around the 2 to 3, I guess, uh, even lower. I, I just don't see him as him as a viable option, um, especially when the Cowboys forward pack hasn't really changed that much. I'm not sure where, um, like where Tamalolo benefits from that. Um, so we'd expect much of the same from Tamalolo and at 607K, it's just not worth taking the fun. Perfect summary. So we will move on to a big balls pod option. Murray Talangi had a career year. Now his career year was going from a 44 average in 2021 to a 55 in 2022. Still wasn't a gun but he still went up 11 points per game. Uh, and look, I, I liked his game, 25 raw base, not fantastic, but you add in his base attack and he's getting towards a mid-40s score without any clutch attack. And look, I just I, I grabbed him for a couple of little runs, also in draft and also in classic, and it went okay. I looked at the draw and, Andrew, I said, look, I, I want a centre wing, but I don't want Valentine Holmes. What do the Cowboys have to offer? Oh, I'm not going to own Kyle Felt, so that's not going to be it. Um, <laughs> and then I looked at Talagi and went, well, he did do some good things last year. Now, when you're having a look at his price tag, he's at a very attainable 578700 only at 5% ownership. So he ticks a few boxes there. I, I guess the problem is I couldn't quite sell myself on it because when I was looking at it, he went 60-plus 48% of the time, which, you know, could be worse. It's very close to how much Valentine Holmes goes 60-plus. The difference is he doesn't go big. So he didn't have any tons, and certainly you want those real big ton opportunities, and he hasn't done that before. He's actually got one massive score of 145 points versus Newcastle, but he hasn't scored a ton against any other team. So that is pretty damning, Um, but in saying that, you know, you know, he had his origin debut last year. Maybe he's coming into his own as a young winger. He did have a 99, a 98, so he's very close to those bigger scores. Actually, two 98s, I should say. Uh, and he scored a bunch of tries last year. Now, he was the second try scorer behind uh, Netai. So, I mean, do we see him 
having the same sort of impact? Could he be a run guy for that first couple of months where he could average a 65-70? How are you seeing Murray Talungi as a big balls pod for the starting couple of months? Mate, the, the term big, ball, big balls pod is actually very appropriate um, for Talungi um, for the start of the season. He's a high-risk, high-reward player. Um, I mean, he can certainly um, do extremely well and score way above his worth um, with that opening draw. Um, my, my issue is, like, you know, as you were mentioning before, when you're looking at the centre wing position, um, you don't normally run with two um, I, I guess, non-GPs in that position. And, I mean, if you're looking at forking out that kind of coin around the 580K, um, surely you'd, you'd go more towards someone like Mazu uh, in the centre wing position. And, and, you know, if you got him anyway, um, you're not going to be forking out for Talangi as well. Um, so, yeah, definitely a big balls pod. Um, and someone, look, let's, let's be real, like with that draw, he, he could produce the goods over the first eight weeks, um, even the first 12 weeks. Um, so I don't know, he's a high risk option. But as you said, like his, his potential for low scores is there. And I mean, when you're forking out 580K for a center wing and they're giving you scores that, you know, some of the 200 to 300K players are giving you as well, then, then there's not really much point is there. So, um, mm-hmm. and me, I'm starting with Holmes. So um, Talungi is not really an option. Um, for me, but no, nah, I don't advise on starting with him. No, even as a um, even as a massive pot option, uh, I think that there's too many other better ones that you could grab for the money. Uh, and look, I do, I will give him a little positive to finish on. I do think that there is viability uh, that he steps up again. You know, 15 tries in 23 games for a winger mm. that's scoring heaps. He could add a couple more to that tally. Uh, and he is someone who's young, only been in first grade for four years, and three of those years the Cowboys weren't very good at all. So you can understand he's really low scores. Uh, so, look, he, he could build on that. I really like him as a talent. So I, I could see him going 60-plus. It's, it's just not enough value there, and it's just too many risks. I'm actually going to say I will target him in draft, though. In draft, you'll get him at the late rounds, and he could have a bumper start of the season, and you'll probably you'll probably trade him for some gun like Brian Toto if Toto starts slow or something and make quite a parlay <laughs> into a really big asset. So, yeah, love him in draft. Um, classic uh, bridge a little bit too far. Talking about a bridge too far, our controversial chat mistake of this team for Supercoach to have in your side for 2023. Going to hurt a lot of Townsend fans' feelings here, but the, the chat, <laughs> i tell you what, you talk about being surprised at some of these guys' ownership. You know, He's only 4% owned, Chad Townsend, but that is 4% more owned than what he should be. 413000 He's obviously cheap. But he averaged 39.3 points per game last year as a halfback, taking up a valuable halfback spot. I could not understand what 4% of coaches are doing. Um, I've said many times, I rarely say, don't ever do this or don't pick that guy or, def- or like 100% this guy's going to work. I don't normally give guarantees. My guarantee is that Chad Townsend is a mistake in your side if you've got him entry. So <laughs> I'm going to throw that in. And I'm going to just say one stat that should put it to bed for Chad Townsend. First of all, um, Despite the massive Cowboys year that they had and Chad Townsend actually playing really well in real life, that was his worst season. You know, his, <laughs> his other seasons are 47 average, 40 average, 51 average, 47 average. None of them have been good. And he, he managed to do the worst with the Cowboys firing. So if you think that that draw is going to work out for him, he's going to make some cash, think again. Um, he went 60 points plus 8% of his games and he played 24 of them. He had one ton, and look, if you take out that ton, his average is a lot worse. 
But the last that I will leave people with, Andrew, to try and save them from the chat experience is he actually led in try assists. He had like 25 try assists oh, last gosh. year for the Cowboys. Massive amount of try assists for the chat. And, you know, if you're going to have that many try assists and average 39 points a game, it should probably tell you to stay away. Mate, besides his name and his haircut, like uh, I'm, I can't see any more positives, really, um, for Chad Townsend. Um, look, obviously, 4% of players are sitting there thinking that he's a guy that's going to benefit from the opening draw. Um, and he's like, let's just throw out the term cheap at 413K. Look, it, it's still high risk considering what this guy's capable of, like how low this guy can score. Um, it's just not worth it. Um, it's... Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you, mate. Sorry, there's not much else to say. Four percent, um, four percent too high. Um, no, it's, it's not. It's not risk. It's suicide. Yeah, like, it it's, his, yeah, his you know base what? is 18. His base attack's 21 combined. Base base attack, like three base attack and 18 raw base. He is absolute suicide. And I, I got the stat wrong. It's not 25 tries. 22 tries he had on the season, but that you know is still leading the Cowboys in tries. So. Yeah. Mate, it's, just tell the 4% of Cowboys fans, for me as a Cowboys fan, what they should be doing here. <laughs> Mate, the, you know what it reminded me of when I saw the 4%, I actually thought, hang on, here's 4% of players that have actually got together their entire team and they have one position left and they've got about 420K left to burn. And they're like, oh, hang on, who can I choose as my backup half? Oh, oh Cowboys have got a pretty good opening draw. Let's choose Chad Townsend. Look, Take off, trim some money elsewhere and upgrade him. And that's that's the advice for those 4% of coaches. 100%. Look, we're going to finish off on a, a mid-value guy that we're going to talk about, and that is Carmen Hess. Dual second-row forward, front-row forward. His value is going to be as a front-row forward. He comes in at 400800 cut price at 4% ownership as well. 38.1 average last year was very disappointing. Uh, but when you unpack the average a little bit, you kind of... Start to talk yourself into it. I know that I was. Um, I've owned Cohen Hess several times in the past. It has always been a disappointing experience. So I will say that up front. But <laughs> he only averaged 38 points a game last year, but he only played 39 minutes a game, which was his lowest minutes that he's ever played. Uh, that's one thing that you can say, well, maybe, you know, starting on an edge, you expect he's going to play 80 minutes, hopefully. If he plays 80 minutes on an edge, surely he can beat 38 points per game. He probably can. The problem is that when you, I think that the mythology of Cohen Hess doesn't quite meet the reality when you look at his numbers and stuff. He came on the scene as this great try scorer, and I really loved him as a player. Something happened after a couple of years, and he just really lost his attack and couldn't score tries anymore. And it showed that he had a really weak work ethic as well with his work rate, and everything just fell apart for him for Supercoach and in real life too. Um, look, 2020 was all second row forward for him, okay? And that was only 51 points per game. So he doesn't project out massively. What I will probably say in his favour, though, um, it's not going to be great playing him for a lot of these games because he has so many low scores. In 2020, only 33% of his scores were 60-plus, playing on an edge and starting and playing 80 minutes. But it is still 13 points below his price point. So there is cash to be made there. You can definitely make 100K there. Um, you might even be able to hold him around until the first buy, potentially the major buy, and sell him afterwards. Uh, but I think, I guess, the big thing is Andrew. He's a front row forward, you know. And the reason I ended up with him in my side was because I had four hundred five thousand to spend, and he was four hundred thousand. So it, it just kind of worked out. Uh, Value wise, I don't know if there's anyone that's going to get the minutes opportunity that he does. 
but he's just fallen off such a cliff. You have to go back to like 2018, 19 to even look at his other secondary forward stats that were half decent. And even then, you know, he was looking at 56 base, base attack as an edge forward. Um, and that was the best he's ever done. So yeah, do you see any value there or any worthwhile in, in starting him as your front rower? Oh, I mean, I, I do see him as, uh, I guess, an option. That's a, a pretty loose term, I guess. Like, he's not someone that I, I would look at to start the season with. I mean, he's, he's someone that you'd more kind of look at the first couple of weeks and and decide, okay, well, hang on, here's an edge forward that's actually getting some decent minutes um, and he's only 400K. Like, I'm not sure if he can, you know, what was he averaging high 50s back in, what was it, 2017, 2018, I think it was. Um, yeah, 58 points a game. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, let's keep in mind too that with Hess, um, you know, you've got Leilua, um, who's out indefinitely at the moment. I'm not sure when. It is indefinitely, I'm pretty sure. Like, there's no set due date. He's, yeah, he's still down for domestic violence. Yeah. And it's, it looks like it's that's going to drag on for a while. So, that, I mean, that gives him something. But, I mean, do you see the bench makeup as him you know, being spelled at 50 or 60 minutes or anything like that? Uh, I don't think so, to be honest. Like, not on the um, not on the edge. Like, um, I, I actually do think his minutes are going to be quite high on the edge there, but um, I'm kind of in the same boat as you where the last, you know, few seasons. He's kind of – he had that high, and then it, all, all of a sudden there's this gradual um, decline. And um, until we kind of see him get that, um, I guess I guess the the right term is confidence back in his game. Um, like it, it is a bit iffy, and I think the people who do decide to run with him are those who who'll look at that um, uh, the positional change from last season and go, "Well, hang on, like he, he could actually be a, an eighty minute, well, let's just say sixty five to eighty minute um, edge forward." Um, and despite his um, his decline in attacking stats, um, could actually benefit from that from that opening draw. So he could make some coin there, um, being at only four hundred k. So I do get the the decision to start with Hess. Um, I, I'd be more like. I'd probably put him on my watch list, see how he goes in the opening two rounds. And even then, unless he's actually doing very well and we still have no news on Leilua and um, and the rotation, then, yeah, it's very hard for me to get him in my side. Yeah, I, look, I'm I'm torn on it. Look, I, probably what I'll say is that I don't think... He's, his scoring has been mud for years. He's basically a mud super coach player. And he's going to put up disappointing scores. And if you set your expectations that you're going to get disappointing scores, but you're happy to make some money, then it will probably work out okay as a front row forward option if that's all that you can spend. Obviously, if you can spend more, you know, 100K more, there's a lot of other options. But if you're looking at that sort of 300 to 400 range, there isn't much else aside from Uta Commander who you definitely should have. So if you need someone like that, I'm going to go out on a limb and say he's going to make money. He will not lose you money. He will make money. It's just a matter of his middling scores and whether, you know, he can make enough money to make you happy, I guess, uh, because it could take him three months to get to his 100K. Uh, But I think that he will get there. Look, that's going to finish off the Cowboys. That's part one of the podcast. So certainly if you want to hear part two, that'll be out very shortly after part one. You can download, stream or subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, as well as SoundCloud. And certainly follow us on Twitter, NRL underscore SC underscore All Stars. 
Thanks very much for listening to part one. Make, make sure you do tune into part two where me and Andrew continue on the discussion and chat with the Raiders. Until then, can't wait to chat to you with some more footy once again. Hey now, you're an all-star. Get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star. Get the show on, get paid.